You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. Okay, so I'm going to read Philippians 1 now, chapter 27. Um, so if you've got a Bible, please do open it. I think the words will come up on the screen. So let me read. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, good morning. Good to be with you today on the Lord's Day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day which you have made, Lord, as we fix our eyes on you, upon your glorious gospel. Lord, would you help us to rejoice and be glad in it. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Amen. So we continue uh, on with our short Philippian series, Locked Down. And today's message is called Locked Down, Yet Standing Together in the Gospel. And the key word that I want for you to look out today is that word mind, M-I-N-D, mind. Perhaps when you hear uh, that word, uh, we think of someone's cognitive cognitive ability, we say they have a great mind, Uh, or perhaps it has some other meaning for you. For example, last week, this time last week, in fact, we were down, me and Joseph were down in London, we were on the uh, underground, going through the tubes, and what do they shout out, or what comes over on the tannoy, comes over, mind the gap. Uh, When I left for London, uh, for Manchester three years ago, Uh, One of the latest trends creeping into church was this word mind. It was uh, this 
sort of new agey type of concept or you know there are obviously different forms of it but the new agey form of of mindfulness creeping into the church and over the last year or so uh, the country has despite uh, a huge psychological impact on our well-being during lockdown come together uh, at least for one reason and one mind to support and rightly so our, our NHS by clapping we've come together with one mind fixed on thanking the NHS for the sacrifices that they have made for us so different ways in which we're hearing this word mind come up whether it's a great mind whether it's mind out whether it's mind yourself whether it's being mindful of a great cost that's been made but the question I want to ask you this morning is what's on your mind what is on your mind? Our reading today shows us what's on the mind of the Apostle Paul. It shows us the single-mindedness of the Apostle in, in, in seeing the unity of the church and in seeing it come together for the advancement of the gospel. One mind seeing the gospel change lives. Or as we see at the end of our reading here today, uh, that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Is that, is that not what we want to see? Is that not when we really stop and we think about it and, you know, we try and declutter everything that's going on in our lives? That's, that's the heartbeat, isn't it? Deep down underneath all the different layers of what's going on and the chaos of life, we want to see God the Father exalted and glorified through the advancement of the gospel. One mind. At ECC, we would say that we or we would identify with being a gospel-centered church. We, we want to have that gospel central to everything we do. And that's why when you look through our website, when you look through our material, you will hopefully see the heartbeat of it is the gospel gospel, the gospel, the gospel, being gospel-centered. But actually, what is the gospel? Well, we've had time to look at that over the last two sessions. The gospel is just quite simply the good news that Jesus is king. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ is the king of kings. But for fear of that, not wanting that to become some sort of a popular slogan... I think actually what we should ask ourselves today, rather than it just becoming a repetitive slogan, is what does it actually mean to have that mind, to be gospel-centred in our hearts, in our lives, in our families and in our church? What does it mean to have that mind, to say that we are truly gospel-centred? And in our passage today, Paul is trying to help the church he loves so much the church that he is more concerned about than even his own circumstances as he's locked up and facing death. He is saying, church, verse 6, chapter 1, I know that God will complete the good work he started into, in you until he is finished when he comes back. I know he's going to complete it, is what he's saying to the church, the good work he started. He's saying in verse 12 so far, listen, I'm in change, chains, my situation is dire, I'm even in prison, but guess what? The gospel is advancing, and even people, whilst I'm in my chains, locked up, are coming to faith. 
brothers and sisters are growing in their faith and likewise they're becoming, because of my chains, because of my persecution, because of everything that's going wrong in my life, they are becoming, when they look at that and how I'm responding, with more faith and more boldness themselves. He's saying in verse 21, whether I make it out of here or not, I know this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. In fact, it's a hard choice, he says. It's a hard choice. I'd rather be with Jesus, says the apostle, but I know he's got a work for me to do here on earth. I know he's got something for me to do, a mission, an assignment. And it's for your progress, church, and it's for your joy in the faith. Church, do you hear Paul's love for the church and his deep desire that it would grow in faith and it would grow in love? And that's the call for us today. Do you hear the apostles' words? That we would grow in love and that we would grow in faith. Do you hear the apostle Paul's heart for the gospel? as Paul explains and points to the truth. But now in our reading today, what he does is having lifted our eyes up to this glorious truth, is he applies it and he encourages his hearers to not only be people that think about it cognitively, but people that actually are out there living it out, living it out and demonstrating it to the world around him. So I believe from, from the passage today, this short passage that we have, that he does so in three ways. So hopefully that comes up on here. If not, we shall carry on as normal. And it should come up on there as well. There we go. Brilliant. Three ways we see from our passage today that we can be gospel-centered people. So firstly, of course, verses 27 to 30, he says that we should be a people that have our mind on the gospel. Do you see it? Secondly, he said that we should be a people, a church, that have our mind on others, verses 1 to 5. And then third, he says that we should be a people that have our mind on Jesus Christ, verses 6 to 11. So the first point, mind on the gospel, is giving us the object of our unity, the gospel. Secondly, having our mind on others is reminding us our nature of our unity. What does it look like? We do this as brothers and sisters in Christ, standing together, not fragmented, not succumbing to this worldly age of individualism and worrying about our own uh, our own lives and our own circumstances, but the, the call from the gospel is to look out and to care and be mindful of other people, right? And then thirdly, having our mind on Christ, verses 6 to 11, I might have repeated that, is showing us our chief example. What does this unity actually look like? Look no further than the person of Jesus Christ. So, first point, mind the gospel. Second point, mind on others. Third point, mind on Jesus and as we go through it, maybe you might want to pray. Maybe you might want to pray something like this. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me today to have a mind for the gospel. Help me to have a mind for other people around me. And help me to have a mind like Jesus Christ. I think that's a good prayer for us to pray. So first point, mind the gospel. I'm just going to stop doing this and let you click on there, I think. Mind the gospel. Now, we know so far in this letter 
that there are, are many things, and in fact all of Paul's epistles, all of Paul's letters, that there are many things to distract us from the advancement of the gospel. We know that there are false teachers out there. We know that there are false ideologies out there. We know that there are uh, tempting and alluring ways that would seek to derail us and pull us away from following and uh, advancing the gospel. Don't think we aren't susceptible to making the same mistakes as so many people have made. We are. And so we should be praying for one another. And yes, you should be praying for your leaders. And yes, we should be praying for our church family. But then there are other less obvious factors that could potentially derail us in keeping this gospel-centeredness as a church. We see it already, perhaps even over the last 14 months during the pandemic, where even fear can usurp our gospel unity. Where fear attacks our foundations, brothers and sisters, our ultimate hope is not in what the government decide down in Cornwall. Our ultimate hope is in what God has said, who God is and what God has done. What can man, enemy, what can war or disease do? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus to, to live is Christ and to die is gain we need not live in fear we are people of hope keep your mind on the gospel now some things of course are out of our control but we should not be people that are subjected to fear I am Christ and he is mine but let me tell you what you can control what I can control whether life is good or whether life is bad, even when I'm in prison or even when I am locked down. I can control how my words and how my actions reflect the gospel. Look to Paul as our example here. Ask ourselves, ask yourselves the question, how does my life, despite everything that's going wrong around it and the circumstances saying otherwise, how does my life as a believer point to the greater hope that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you hearing me this morning? How do we, as people going through the similar, as similar circumstances as everyone else is going through, how do our lives point to a greater hope in Christ? Life sometimes is great. Praise the Lord. Life sometimes stinks. Praise the Lord. What does Paul mean when he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel? Remember, Paul is facing, uh, he's locked down, he's facing death. The church, tw verse 28, is facing opposition. There are people out there breaking up the message, sowing disunity, discord. They are even facing persecution and they are suffering, verse 29, in conflict similar to Paul, verse, 20, verse 30. Going through times of conflict isn't foreign to the church. But, but being disbanded and going our own way should be. That should not be heard of the church when we're going through persecution and when we're going through troubles and we're going through difficulty. We should be coming together, unified for the sake of the gospel. 
So going through times of conflict isn't foreign to the church. Why? Because we are called by Paul. Why should we come together in unity? Because we are called by Paul to do so and to have our mind on the gospel. We are a people with hope. And here, verses 27 to 30, we see that. It's not just what we speak that matters and what we speak here on a church on a Sunday morning, although that is, the, of course, it, the emphasis is on the message that we preach. Paul is saying, also, pay attention not just to what you speak and what you tell, but how your lives, how your actions reflect the gospel. What do our lives say about the gospel we claim has changed us? And that's an important point, isn't it? What does, brothers and sisters, your life say about the gospel? Does your life hinder or tarnish the impact or the reputation of the gospel? Now, we've seen enough of that, haven't we, over the last year or so, of how well-known Christians have damaged the reputation of the gospel. We've seen how popular preachers are now saying they're atheists. We've seen how mega church pastors in places like New York have been busted sleeping around. We've seen how leading apologists, world leading apologists, has covered up his lewd behaviour for many, many years, even up until his deathbed. The current covering up that we're seeing and the exposure of the sex abuse scandals in the Church of England and elsewhere that we're seeing, the gospel, the reputation of the gospel is being brought into disrepute. What do our lives say? Because we are not exempt. This is not about pointing the finger at other people, but asking what do our lives say about the gospel? What we do for the cause of the gospel speaks volumes. What does our life say to sceptics peering in at us, many of whom already think we're bigots or misogynists and the like? We have enough opposition and scepticism from those outside. Paul in the early church did, verse 28, we should expect to have the same type of attitude and venom even towards us. So we are called to be gospel-centered people, not just in what we speak, but how we live and how we behave and what our lives say. What does it mean to be a gospel-centred church? According to Paul, a gospel-centred church is one that not only preaches the eyewitness account of the gospel, but their lives live up to what they preach. They match up. For Paul, that meant that others noticed it and they were saying, look at their lives, they're different. Also, a gospel-centred life, a church focused on the gospel, is standing firm in one spirit, is standing firm in one mind. They're striving side by side for the faith. They're not frightened. They're not scared because they know that their life is in the hands of Almighty God. Come what may. We are called to have a light, a mind, our minds on the gospel. Point number two, verses one to four. And I think we can click here. We are called to have our minds on others. What does a gospel-centered church look like? Having a mind on others. According to Paul, a gospel-centered church is one 
that has its mind, it cares for, it loves for, it has concern for, regard for other people. Those that are of one spirit, those that are of one mind, those that are of one accord are looking out for other people. Now, don't get me wrong, there is a time for TLC. What I'm, I'm not saying this morning is that if you're in a season of having been battered and gone through a difficult time, that there isn't a season for you of rest and of being strengthened. If that's you today, you need to know that the Lord is your shepherd. He is leading you to green pastures. He is leading you beside still waters. He is restoring your soul. And that may be for you or for your loved ones. Rest well, brother or sister. And that is perfectly valid. But the context he is speaking of here is having a mind for other people. That's a mind beyond yourself, even beyond your immediate family context. It's having a mind towards other people, your fellow brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, that the first part of that I've never really had a problem with. Having a mind for other people being mindful towards the lost and towards the broken and towards those without hope. You know, uh, I, I'm the son of, a, of an immigrant. My parents were divorced. I grew up in a council estate. We were poor. We relied on food banks and state benefits. My lowest memory is of my dad in winter, my stepdad coming to my bedroom, true story, and taking my door off to burn, to use as firewood to keep us warm because we were... Uh, pretty sort of hard up as children and as a family growing up. At the age of 15, I was homeless. I could have ended up in prison, but I ended up somewhere much worse and harder for eight years. My heart has always been for the poor and for the broken, and so it's never been a problem for me because that's my story. And I know that God has rescued me out of that hopelessness. But if I'm being honest, one of the hardest things, one of the things that I've always, I, I struggled with in my early years was dealing with Christians, dealing with the self-entitlement of believers who sang about God, sang about this glorious gospel that rescues the broken, prayed about the God who, because of the, the gospel, is the only hope of the world, prayed about it, sung about it, but then after an hour or so, depending on who the preacher was, left unchanged and I had a real problem with that it's a little bit like it reminded me of the, of the story of, da of the Danish theologian Kierkegaard he said there was once a village of ducks every Sunday they would waddle into their duck church with their duck choir and their duck preacher and the duck preacher got up and told them ducks God has given you wings with wings you can fly with wings you can mount up and soar like eagles no walls can confine you. No fences can hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings. And you can fly like birds. And the ducks all shouted out, Amen! Amen! And they marveled at this wonderful sermon. And then they just waddled back home. Waddled off back home. They didn't show by their actions that they really believed what they were being told. I had a problem with churches, but God had to correct that in me. God had to rebuke me and say that my attitude was not healthy, actually. 
I'm called to love this church as Christ has loved this church. And in fact, when you go through the Bible, the Bible has a great deal to say about not just loving the lost and not just loving our own families, but loving our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. This is so important. It's so important. Jesus himself said it's one of the greatest commandments all throughout Holy Scriptures. We see a God who commands his people not just to look after the weak and the vulnerable, for the marginalized and the foreigners, but especially for those of the household of faith. Matthew 5.42 says, learn to generously share what you have with those who ask for help. Don't close your hearts. Romans 12.9-10 says, let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another. Love one another. And never play the role of an actor wearing a mask like the ducks waddling to church. Despise evil, embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Isn't that, isn't that challenging? To, to be devoted, to be devoted, I'm speaking to myself, for us to be devoted to our fellow brothers and sisters in the faith as members of one family. Paul says, try to outdo yourselves in respect and honour of one another, brothers and sisters. Around you are part of a family. And we are called to love one another. Romans 12.13, Paul says, Take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them. This is hard stuff, isn't it? To be honest, it's hard. It's hard to genuinely care about other people at this level that we're being called to, isn't it? It is. Is that you? Do you have a high enough view of the church that Christ died for and is coming back for? Do you have a high enough view of your church family? Why are we called to have this? Because, verse 27, it shows our manner of life is worthy of the gospel. It's all pointing towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, there, at times there's so much to disagree with at church. I've grown up in churches, I've travelled to hundreds and pastored for the last decade, a relatively short time. But believe me, I've seen in churches such discord. Swiss theologian Karl Barth said, there are no letters in the Bible without problems going on in the church. Don't think it's better or rosier or greener somewhere else. There's always problems going on in the church, but we're called to commit to it and be loyal to it and care for one another. We all come from different backgrounds, different cultures, different tastes. Some like pews, some like chairs. I've got the scars to prove it. Some like suits, some like flip-flops. Some like the King James Version, some like the NLT. And the really holy ones like the ESV. Some like hymns, some like rap. Everyone loves Rob's music, mortally mortals. We are diverse and we need to find common ground because there's much to separate us. The common ground that we have, one that we can all come together and hold fast, is the gospel. And we are part of a family that has been changed and transformed by this gospel. Quote for you. Tozer said, Has it ever occurred to you 
that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshippers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in a heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to, to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Our one tune is the gospel. Paul's exhortation is to be one to unity and to care for the church. He says, complete my joy by putting others and unity in the gospel first, even before your own preferences and desires. In fact, it is necessary. It is necessary if we are to live lives worthy of the gospel. On that, we will not compromise. Point number two, have a mind towards others. Love one another. Look out for one another. Let's be unified in the gospel. And the third point, the mind of Jesus. Mind on Jesus, verses 5 to 11. How can we be one for the gospel? How can we be gospel-centered in what we tell others? By how we live, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what we say, and how can we be gospel-centered? How about our love for one another? And the answer, quite simply, point number three, is by looking to Jesus. How can we be gospel-centered? How can we have a mind for others by looking to Jesus? So you'll be like the Matrix, if you've ever seen that. We're like Neo. We need our minds unplugged from the world's values. We've adopted it. We've taken it on. We've been weighed down by it. And we need to have our minds unplugged from the world's values. And we need to be plugged back into Jesus. Some of us here today need to be plugged back into Christ. Paul says, be like Christ. Focus on Christ. Follow Christ. Remember Christ. And he does so in quite a, a really remarkable fashion verses 5 to 11 in what is often called Paul's hymn of Christ let's read that together verses 5 to 11 he says have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says, to be like Christ we must focus on him have the mind of Christ. Verse 6, that says, verse 6, read with me. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That means he was the pre-existent one. He was always there. He is God, the Almighty One through whom all things were made, the darling of heaven, Jesus. Verse 7, that's the incarnation Verse 8, he gave up his life. That's his crucifixion and death. And verse 9, that's his resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God. Do you hear this gospel hymn that Paul is singing? The divine nature of God, the birth, the death, the resurrection, the ascension and the exaltation of Jesus, the gospel. 
And Paul is saying, in looking to an example of how to live for the gospel, how to be gospel-centered, look no further than the one whom the gospel is all about, Jesus. If you want an example of how to love and how to serve, look to Jesus, who because of his great love for you and for I, came down from heaven to rescue and redeem his people because of his love for you. Look at how he, verse 6, didn't count equality with God. He didn't count equality with God. And yet he laid it aside to take on our humanness. Fully God, yet took on the appearance of man to come and to serve, not to be served. That's our example. To have the mind of Christ is to have humility and to live a life of service for others, whoever you are. Whatever your position is in the secular world, however important you are, our mind is called to be like Christ. Our example is to be like Jesus, to humbly serve and love one another, even lay down our lives for one another. Mark 10:45. even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone but to serve everyone and to give his life as a ransom. That's your example. That's my example. The one who was ridiculed, he was spat upon, the son of God. The one who had his face struck and his beard pulled, who was beaten and mocked for those he loved, for those he made. The one who went out of his way to encourage, to sit with and to listen with others, even the outcast, the king of kings, the eternal one, The God who was and is and is to come. The eternal word who came to a world that had turned their back on him and yet came to wash their feet and die their death and take upon himself the judgment and the wrath of God that we deserve. That's our example in how we're called to love others and how we're called to to, to strive for the gospel. And now what does he ask of you? Who claim to love him? What does he ask of this preacher? but that you love one another as you have been loved. Do you you feel the full force of the challenge here? To love like Jesus. Do do you feel the the full force of that? Love. Love one another as Christ has loved you. We cannot say we are his disciples. We cannot claim to have the mind of Christ if we do not follow him, if we do not love this way. It's as simple as that. I'm reminded, uh, just as we pause and nearly land and finish, I'm reminded of all the world leaders that have descended upon beautiful Cornwall. Have you been watching it on TV recently? For a barbecue by the beach, including the Queen whose birthday we all celebrated yesterday. I know you did. I'm reminded of an occasion when young Princess Margaret was presented to the British Society for the first time to address the assembled dignitaries. As she arose to give her speech, her mother leaned over and said into her ear, You are a princess, walk like one. You are royalty, walk like one. And brothers and sisters, what I got out of bed this morning to tell you, actually I was woken up very early, what I got out of bed early this morning to tell you is that you belong to Jesus. By his own blood, he has bought you. You were a spiritual orphan, but now you have been adopted into royalty. 
whereby you now call God your Father in heaven. You are a child of God, and since you are his children, you are therefore co-heirs with Christ of his glory. Do you know that this morning? Therefore, dearly beloved, dearly brothers and sisters, dear brothers and sisters, walk like believers. Have your mind on the gospel. Turn your mind towards others, especially the household of faith. And have the mind of Christ, your servant king. Let's just click and get on the last one. Mind on the gospel. Mind on others. Mind on Jesus. And as we summarise Paul says, verse 5, this is the wonderful thing, because I know, I, I, I sense the gravitas of what I'm saying, of loving like Jesus, of serving like Jesus. I feel it as well. And we need to come to Christ and ask him for his help, because I want to be like that that I've just described. Do you not? I want to be like this. And the wonderful thing is verse 5. It says here, have this mind, have that mind amongst yourselves. Mind for the gospel, mind for others, mind for Christ, which is yours it's yours it's yours in Christ Jesus he offers it to you today to live by his Holy Spirit the power of his Holy Spirit this way so let's close our eyes and let's finish there but let's do so with a, a, a mind that is coming to Christ in humility because of his word and through his spirit acknowledging our shortfalls and just as, as our eyes are closed and our hearts are opened, imagine today if, if you've heard what I said and you know it to be true and you want to be like that. You want to have a mind on the gospel, a mind on the church, on your brothers and sisters, a mind on Christ. Imagine today, as it said in verse 5, that God is handing you a gift. Imagine that gift is being given to you from God. A gift is the gift of Holy Spirit that sanctifies us and changes us and transforms us to become like Christ. All you have to do is acknowledge your need and ask for it by responding, my God, I want so desperately to be like your son. I want so desperately to love your church. Please wake me up from my self-centeredness. Lord, I so desperately want to love others like you have shown me how to live. I want to be like you. By faith I receive what is mine in Christ Jesus. Amen. Church, mind on the gospel, mind on others, mind on Christ. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.